Welcome to another episode of How's the Market, a podcast for first home buyers and upgraders that gives you tips, tricks, and up-to-date real estate information from on the ground across Melbourne and Geelong. This podcast is brought to you by Tommy Buyers Agents. My name is Tristan Larkin, and with me, I have my co-host, Jonah Howard. How are you doing, mate? Oh, I'm doing great, sir. I've had some def- technical difficulties recently, but we're back up and running. Let's rock. Technical difficulties? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like us at all. <laughs> no chance. So, mate, tell me, how was, uh, how was the Opens on the weekend? How did you find things out there? It was busy once again. Busy once again, and I think this weekend is going to be much more of the same. With the pausing of interest rates, I think that's going to kick a lot of people up the bum to get out there and, and start buying, I think. What about you? Yeah, I think I think the same, actually. Um, I had a really interesting conversation. It's uh, I've written that in uh, this week's How's the Market in regards to what the agents are saying. But I had this conversation with an agent this Saturday just gone in regards to like you know just how the market's going from his perspective. And he was like, investors have saved us at, at the moment. Like... You know, if they didn't have investors doing this big sell-off, they wouldn't have any stock because a lot of the owner occupiers are, are holding on at the moment. But a lot of the investment properties are what you're seeing um, come to the marketplace at the moment. So, I thought that was a really interesting comment. Um, you, like, obviously, if you've heard us on, on any of the podcasts, you know that stock levels are down a lot at the moment, and that essentially just means that the real estate agents taking like a pay cut when you think about it because they get paid on commission for sales so if you know there's 30 percent less stock selling on the market that's 30 percent less income going to real estate agents it doesn't and it doesn't spread evenly some agents have got as much as they did last year or more and others have completely been wiped out mm-hmm. though yeah one one agent just told me that you know they got saved by the investors was what it felt like and they just don't know if things are going to change coming into spring that it's not that confident that it's going to be a lot busier um, in spring like it is in most other years. So I thought that was an interesting comment. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to touch on quickly is uh, the CoreLogic uh, housing report. So some of their most recent data that they've released um, and this was in their, uh, this was Ju- their July um, report and they pretty much said that over the last three months, national home values have risen by 2.8%. So that's the June quarter, which is the highest quarterly movement since January of 2022. And on a monthly basis, the pace of growth eased uh, from 1.2% in May to 1.1% in June. However, after the RBA's announcement, um, again, for the 1st of August, which was yesterday from when we're recording, who knows, that might go up again, but we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But to, to jump into this week's episode, like the topic that we're talking about today is understanding underquoting. So what buyers need to know, because this is, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why we exist as buyers agents, to be honest, but especially in the first home buyer market, like it's very, it's very, very tricky. And like buying a property can be stressful enough. But when you consider the fact that there's agents and especially like agencies, it's a bit of a cultural thing I've sort of discovered that they, they intentionally underquote properties. It can just make it that much more stressful and difficult to actually try to get into the housing market. So, and like time and time again, we hear from buyers that have sort of shown us a property and said like, hey, you know, this is what we want to buy. Like we bid on this one. Um, can you try and find us something similar that won't sell for so much? And they just think that the buyers at the time overpaid on it. When really it was just underquoted, it was always worth that that much, and it might be a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars above their budget. Um, and you know, like 
it was just quoted two hundred thousand dollars or more below what it actually sold for, which is a it's a it's a large amount of money, and it can mean that the difference of a property is you know vast. Like even just on the weekend gone, we saw um, two properties. Both of them were quoted nine to nine ninety, and they both had an auction on the same day and same time. One property sold for one point two five. And the other one sold for like a million. And they were quoted with the same price. But if you looked at them side by side, you could see that one was clearly better than the other. So people sometimes think, oh, well, I'll get a bargain if I go to this one because they've like, it's, you know, it's priced much lower. But it's not really how it works. Like it'll sell for what it's valued. Um, so just something to keep in mind. So, and essentially, I just wanted to touch on like what is underquoting, right? So underquoting occurs when the agents intentionally advertise a price for a property under what they know that the property is worth or what the vendor would even be willing to accept or potentially even under a price of what the vendor has previously rejected. So the vendor has said like, hey, you know, I've gotten an offer at 1.2 mil, um, but I only want to sell it for 1.25. And then the agents come in and quote it one to 1.1. It happens. It's, it's illegal. Um, it definitely happens and it's just something to, to be mindful of. But you might then ask, well, why do agents underquote? And simply put, they, they say like, quote it low and watch it go. That's a, that's a typical saying in the agent industry. But they're just trying to draw more interest to a property. Um, they're trying to get as many people through as they can in hopes to get people emotionally invested in the property so that they just go to the top of their budgets. I was speaking with a mate yesterday he's like Jonah can you have a look at this property for me he's like I think I might pick up a bargain here and I had a look at it and it was definitely underquoted by at least 50 70 grand and it was going to auction and I tried to explain to him that the reason they do that is because you've already you feel like in your head you've already purchased it before you got there like he has so now he's emotionally invested so then when he goes to auction there's probably multiple people that feel like they've already bought it because they think it's a bargain and then all of a sudden you're in a bidding war and then you've spent way over your budget. So this is why they do that and it definitely does work. I always find it funny. I mean, it's, it's not really funny, but I do find it quite amusing at auction when they're there bidding and you could see that they've just gone over their budget and it's like the couple's like looking at one another like, oh, but you know, we need to get it and you're 100% right because... In their mind, they've already moved in. They're picturing inviting the friends over. They're picturing a housewarming party, their family coming over, having kids. That, like That's what's all going through their mind. And I see, see it all the time where people are like getting out the calculators to see, you know, like, hang on, if we spend an extra 30000 could we still afford that? Like, what are the repayments going to be? Like, what stamp sheet are you going to be on that? And they're doing all the calculations on the spot, um, which terrifies me. <laughs> but Always know your number before you go to auction. Yeah, it's Always. so important. But it happens, right? It happens. Yeah. And un- unfortunately, it works too. So mm-hmm. there was another article that was posted by Domain recently that was saying like why auctions are the best method for sale. And they essentially just did a big comparison of a, a group of properties that went to auction and those that didn't. And um, they're pretty much final sale value in comparison to the price range. And they essentially came to the conclusion that properties that sell at auction sell for approximately like three or 4% more than what they do if they're a private sale. And I don't honestly believe that because it's just 
getting people emotionally invested and competitive. That's the key thing. Mm. You know that you're not competing against an agent. You're competing against another bidder that's standing right next to you. So you know that, you know, all, all these other people are interested in the property. Therefore, you know, it gives me validation to spend more because it must be worth it, right? Um, so that's why, I mean, we try to avoid auctions where we can. But in regards to how this relates to underquoting, I want to quickly touch on the statement of information. So the statement of information is the price guide. So if you ever see a range on a property or if you're on realestate.com and you see something that says statement of information, even if it says contact agent in Victoria, you legally have to provide a quoted range. So even if it says contact agent, scroll down, you'll see something that says statement of information. You'll be able to click on that and it'll give you the price range. Um, it's amazing to me how, how many people don't know that. But So what a statement of information is, is it either includes a single price, which is their price guide, or it gives a price range, which is more common. So just some background on that. The quoted range, if it is a range, can only be up to a maximum of 10% in terms of selling bills. So if your single price was 700K, your quoted range could only be 700 to 770. It couldn't be 700 to 800,000. It's too, it's too big of a range. So it needs to be within 10%. And the interesting thing is that they need to include what the agent believes are the three most comparable properties on the statement of information. Either that or they need to have a statement outlining that they uh, reasonably that there are fewer than three comparable sales within the prescribed period um, on the statement of information. But typically you will see agents do three properties on the statement of information if you're on the metro markets or even like some of the regional places like Geelong would be very common. Yeah, there's three down here. Though this is the important thing about the statement of information. So when they use a comparable property, the property must be, and this is straight from um, the Consumer Vic website, the comparable property must be of a similar standard or condition to the property for sale and it must be sold in the last six months and be within two kilometers of the property that is for sale. So that is why there is a problem with underquoting because those two things allow agents to essentially bend the rules. So the, the wording of having a comparable property to a similar standard or condition is subjective and agents take advantage of that. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes you'll see a property that's a four bedroom that is for sale and the property on the, stand, uh, the statement of information or the SOI is like a two better. Or maybe the one that they're selling is being completely renovated and the other one is like a knockdown. Or maybe one's on a 700 meter square block and then the one on the statement of information is on a 400 square meter block. Like huge discrepancies. And, but that's just like what they can use. Like, you know, it's subjective and it's, it's hard to hold them against that. You can ask them. So it's a good thing to ask agents actually is like, oh, what um, is the most comparable property you think has sold recently in comparison to this? And very often they'll even tell you about the ones in the SOI because they're sometimes, depending on the agent, sometimes they're rubbish. And But the other thing is the two kilometer range is very large when you think about it in comparison to properties. So it's very common that there might be a street that separates two suburbs 
and one suburb's median house price could be a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars more than the other. So any property in that two kilometer range of that street. So a, a great example is um, like Warrigal Road. Properties that are on the west side of Warrigal Road are typically a hundred thousand dollars plus more than the properties on the east side. And it's because it changes suburbs there. And it's just a stigma, like it's a postcode. People pay a lot of money to get into the postcode. It's like a brand when you think about it, like a Louis Vuitton brand, like whatever the most desirable postcode is, is like a brand to a lot of people. And so two kilometers is a long distance. Like it's, it's, a, far, it's a far region to essentially get confused by. So you, didn't, you need to really look at the statement of information look at the properties that they've got listed on there and sort of really try to think, are these properties comparable? Are they in the same suburb? Do they have the same bedroom and bath? Do they have the same block size? And then if they're all matching and it could be a really good statement of information and price guide, then go onto those listings and have a look at the condition. Is one completely modern and the other one is you know, completely in original condition? Just very important. Um, so yeah, things to think about. So assuming that we now know all of this and we can't really jump into it too much here because we don't have the time. I just wanted to really give you an understanding around why underquoting is a problem here. But it's going to be a podcast on its own. Yeah, it will, it will be for sure. Though just to give you a bit of guidance to figure out if a property is underquoted or not and just trying to figure out how to substantiate value. The tip that we have is when you've got your property that you're looking at, go onto realestate.com, go into the sold section, type in the same parameters of the property that is that you're looking at, which is bedrooms, bathrooms, garage, and block size, like roughly. And then also in realestate.com in the sold section, you can click on the filter that says properties that have sold within the last either three months or six months. Just do six months for the sake of this. Then go onto map view and find the properties that have sold with those parameters in the last six months as close as you can to the property that you are looking at. Then if you can find two or three of them, that's great. And try to figure out, then just compare them side by side. So hopefully they're pretty similar in terms of their bedroom, bathroom and their block sizes then just have a look at the condition of them and see what those properties have sold for. Because there's a good chance that they're the properties that the agent should have put onto the SOI if they're not on there already. And they're the ones that you should be looking at to see, you know, is it better condition or is it worse condition? And then just on a very surface level, that is a lot better of an indicator as to what the property's worth than, than what the price guide is. Great stuff, mate. But I think the the Block size is definitely the biggest thing. If that can differentiate a property hundreds of thousands of dollars for sure. So it has to be really nearly identical block size to be a comparable sale in my opinion. Mm. Or yeah, it's it's probably what's going to have the most value attached to it for sure. So you should really look at what the square meter rate is for that area. You can find that like on a very basic form on yeah. SQM research. <laughs> yeah. It's a complicated topic. We, we should definitely go into it. You should do a deep dive one day. Yeah, for sure, for podcast. sure. We'll, we'll plan that for a couple of weeks, couple of weeks away. Though, the RBA. Yes. So amazing news. I'm sure. I'm sure everyone's heard that interest rate rises have been paused again. Briefly mentioned it. So, an article here says the RBA's new wait and see rates agenda. 
So economists who predicted another rate rise are now backpedaling and saying that they believe no further rate rises on the horizon, which I know, I think we all kind of understand now that economists actually don't know whether it's going to go up, down or sideways. I think they wait and see what the interest rate rises are doing, uh, are how they're affecting the economy, and then go from there. So senior economist from the Commonwealth Bank, Linda Allen, says, We had thought the RBA would raise the cash rate in August due to lingering concerns around the strong labor market and upside risk to inflation and wages growth. It would take an up an upside surprise to the econo- economic data from here, namely on prices and or wages for the RBA to shift its assessment of the outlook. So I think basically what we can gather from this is that they're just going month to month. They're seeing what the unemployment rate is, what inflation is on the backside of what interest rates have done for the past month and they're just kind of making a decision from there, which is a little bit scary, I guess, but I guess some people are saying that they're going to halt for a while. Some people are saying they're going to go down. Some people are saying they're going to go up. Mm. So it's a month-to-month basis at the moment. That's kind yeah. Of I found I it quite interesting. The... I feel like the tone changed in the the RBA statement that they released yesterday as well. Like I've noticed in the previous statements, they were always sort of going down the line of, you know, we're probably going to need to increase rates further, but we're just waiting to see what the next inflation data is. That's sort of what they were saying. Whereas in in mm. August's announcement, they've stated some further tightening of monetary policy may be required to ensure that inflation returns to target in a reasonable time frame but that will depend upon the data and the evolving assessment of risk. So I think that's a lot softer yeah, of a time. still well above what they want it to be. So yeah, if that's their target, then yeah, we're probably screwed. But Well, I, they've, they've, they know that it's coming down. They just need to pretty much make sure that it continues coming down with the current interest rates. So they've definitely said that mm. if it doesn't come down, like they're going to have to increase interest rates a lot more and it's going to hurt a lot more people though if it remains on its current trajectory then they may not need to increase like interest rates again so i don't know if it's a a positive or a negative i think it's just a pause at the moment but i think it definitely will have an effect on sentiment for sure i think people in their minds are going to start to get a lot more comfortable and think that it's done regardless of if the economist is saying that it is or it isn't done. But I think just the general sentiment in the market will have a big shift after this because this is the first time that we've had two months of no change. So I think that is definitely going to introduce a little bit more certainty back into the marketplace. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Make sure to check out www.tommy.com.au to get access to our How's the Market blog and join the mailing list. And we shall see you again in next week's episode. You can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Jonah underscore Tommy underscore Geelong and Tristan Mark. Until next week, see you later. Bye-bye.